Hi, everybody. I'm Josh Constein, your host. Welcome to Press Club. Today on Press Club, we're discussing the creator economy with some incredible guests. We're joined by Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, Spotify CEO Daniel Ek, and Shopify CEO Toby Lutke. We'll be discussing how people can turn their passions into their professions, why platforms are offering new monetization features, and why creators are so important to the economy. Let's jump right in. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thanks for doing this, Josh. Yeah, this is yeah, incredible. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I feel you. like it's, have you guys ever actually been in the same room together? Because I feel like it's kind of special that we can do this on Clubhouse and you know wrangle everyone's travel and schedules. I know Daniel's in Europe and we can bring everybody together here on this platform when it would probably be pretty difficult to get you all on a physical stage somewhere. Yeah, especially right now we? during the pandemic. I don't think so. Not all three of us. Yeah. I totally agree. Like uh, spontaneous conf- mini conferences are awesome. Yeah, I think the last time I saw you guys, maybe Mark and Daniel together, was at the Spotify 2011 launch party where it was like you guys on stage with Snoop Dogg. Well, I think we've gotten together a few times since then. I mean, I, I have had the the pleasure of getting to work with both of you and your amazing companies and partner with you on a bunch of different things over, over time. So that's been fun. But this is good. I, I, I think there's so much happening in the creator economy right now. Um, and... It's, I, I think it'll be awesome to, to just get a chance to, to hear how, 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 how you're all thinking about it. I and mean, I, I saw, Daniel, your, your announcement this morning, um, I thought it was really neat. The $5 billion in payouts to, um, to, to musicians and, and all the transparency work that you're doing. I think it's really impressive. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it was kind of a long time coming, but uh, I think it was the time to kind of unveil this um, to the world and, and show the progress and also show the depth of the creator community that exists on Spotify. So uh, I was super excited to share that. And it's been fun to see over the course of the day, all the reactions from the community and everyone else uh, around it. So one thing I I love about the creator economy is remix culture and the fact that everybody can kind of weigh in. They don't need to have all the creativity. They can just add a caption or a new spin on a joke. And and I feel like you guys have actually been the subject of a fair amount of memes. Maybe you in particular, Mark, between your Capitol Hill appearances and e-foiling on that cool surfboard of yours. Uh, Mark, do you have any sort of response to the memes that you see about you? Or is there a favorite one of yours? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't take it too seriously. I mean, I think probably if I, if I had to go with a favorite, um, yeah, I think it's got to be smoking meats. I mean, I, I I do I do love grilling and and cooking and um, and that was silly and and I appreciate that everyone enjoys it. Yeah, I think that one's adorable. And you you and your sweet baby Ray's hot sauce, I feel like you, you know, if you ever quit your job as Facebook CEO, you have a great sponsorship deal lined up for them. <laughs> okay, so one thing that I wanted to tie into the creator economy is the NFT culture, which is on the massive rise right now. And for that, we, we did something a little bit special today. Uh, I had this idea of wanting to do live portraits of the speakers that come on our show, Press Club. And so I want to present you guys with a portrait that, I worked on with my incredible friend Finch, an absolutely amazing painter. And if you click uh, on Finch, who's on the screen right now, you'll see this portrait that he has made specially for you guys right now, uh, uh, featuring you in his iconic honey bear style. Uh, We'd love to have Finch just say hi and and, and talk about it for one second. Hi there. Uh, Thank you so much. Um, So yeah, I'm a street artist in San Francisco, and I focus mainly on public art, um, but we also do fine art. 
Um, this collab is the first NFT that I'm going to do. Um, Josh just invited me to do an artwork for this event. And I don't do human portraiture, but I paint a lot of honey bears. And so I made a honey bear for Mark, Daniel, and Toby. Um, you can see the digital version of my profile. And then I'm actually going to live paint an actual canvas that will come with the NFT um, uh, throughout the event. And then I, I really wanted to thank all three of you um, for your work. I am a creator, obviously. Um, I run my entire business uh, through Shopify, everything from inventory to shipping. Um, you know, it's really all um, centered there. And then I use Instagram um, really extensively. It's where all the visual artists hang out and share their work. And then I love music like a lot of people. So thank you all so much. That's awesome. I'm so cool. Yeah, I've, I've followed your work for a while and I, I just love the style of what you're doing. I have to say though, Daniel, do you actually play guitar? Yeah, I, I, I do. So this, this was pretty fitting. Uh, I lo love the work too. So th this is great. Uh, I'm going to try to see if I can uh, get a get the NFT version of this one for sure. Just, yeah. is, is, is this a reference to the, to the Silicon Valley um, honey bear uh, um, scene? I actually haven't watched the show. I, I found that it hit too close to home. And so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might have had wanted to be in Canada. I can, I, can, I can look at it from a distance. Okay. Amazing. Super thank cool. you. I just want to thank you so much for, for doing this work. If, if you guys are interested in, in this work, we just put the NFT up for auction on foundation.app. Uh, the, the link's in my profile and Finch's profile. And we're giving 20% to the U.S. COVID relief fund from Give Directly, which is one of our favorite charities that really does incredible work in making sure that money makes an impact. Um, so yeah, check that out. Uh, we'll be talking about it a little bit later at the end of the show. But Thanks, thanks again, Finch. But I want to get into our, our big real topic, the creator economy. You, know, you guys are, are powering these platforms where so many creators have built their audience, starting to monetize their audience. I would love to just get like a quick overview, that big picture vision of why you think the creator economy is blowing up right now and what this means for culture. Mark, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So, you know, I think we all kind of hope that in the future, uh, you know, the economy it is one where everyone can pursue their interests and their, their creativity um, and can have jobs that are more exciting for them. So the, the question is just how do you build up the economic models to basically support all of that? And, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to hear what, what Daniel and, and, and Toby have to say too. But, you, you know, a, a lot of this is, you know, there are going to be a lot of tools that need to get built. Um, the creator economy goes across know, all of these different types of, of, of content, right? So it's, it's, um, you know, not just musicians and, and people are creating videos and, and online, um, content, but, you know, I think a lot of journalism and long form writing fits into this. Um, you know, a lot of gaming, um, I think increasingly fits into this. Um, you know, to some extent, there's a lot of physical goods and, and creativity that, that people are able to, uh, enable and, and, and start businesses around. I mean, one of my favorite little kind of stories from, from throughout the pandemic is, you know, there's this restaurant that, that I loved in, in, in San Francisco. And, you know, during COVID, they basically transitioned their business model to a, a dumpling subscription service. And it's like, all right, it's super creative. And the tools for, for being able to supply this, um, you know, are basically being built on, 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 on the internet uh, by, by a bunch of these platforms. And, and I think it's just really exciting. And, you know, when um, Daniel, you know, your keynote recently, you talked about this goal to basically be able to get support. I think it was a million people 
right, who are creators, full-time jobs on Spotify. And, you know, I think if, if, if we can kind of all do that together, so, you know, musicians can do that, but you know, also small business creators coming up with, with, um, with creative different ideas, um, you know, create new business models around journalism and, and long form writing, um, videos, people doing all kinds of different entertainment. Um, you know, I just think that this is so important for having a broad based and stable economy that's inspiring over time. And, you know, that's a lot of what, what we've been excited about. I mean, it's, you know, I talk a lot about small businesses and, and Facebook, you know, we have about 200 million businesses that use our products. The vast, vast majority of them are small businesses who use our products for free. Um, you know, we don't have an exact accounting yet of how many creators, um, in addition to the small businesses are on the platforms, but we think it's probably around the, a similar amount. That's people who are basically, you know, using, um, you know, it's like their personality is their brand and they're using these services in order to either grow their influence or monetize, um, their, their community and as a job. And, you know, I think over, over the coming years, it'll, it will have to evolve. So that way, um, you know, a large percent of these folks can basically make a full-time living through this. And I think that that's just going to be super inspiring. That's awesome. Yeah. I think the idea of helping people turn their passion into their profession is so critical because there's a lot of people that don't want to have a traditional office job anymore. And when you ask, I think it's like, 30% of elementary school kids say they want to be influencers. It's beaten out being an astronaut or a fireman. And I think that that's a really important and pretty uh, sizable shift in, you know, not just popular culture, but like where we see ourselves uh, in terms of the occupations. Uh, Daniel, we'd love to hear your sort of bigger picture thoughts on the creator economy right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, this is something we talked about uh, just very recently like Mark um, spoke about too. And, and our view, just in the space of audio, just uh, a few years ago, we had about 3 million creators uh, on our platform. And today that number is over 8 million. And we've said by 2025, we think it will grow to about 50 million creators. So just the explosion of the people who want to be creative and who are expressing themselves through uh, music, through podcasting, through audio is, is, is just staggering. And what's fascinating to me, um, as we spoke about, is this notion about making it so that more of these people can live off of their passion and live off of their art that they're creating. And what's interesting, I feel, is that um, it's, it's very much of an omni-channel expression uh, by these creators. So it used to be before that if you were a musician, as an example, you just put out music. That was kind of the thing that you were doing. But almost every successful creator now is omni-talented and uh, in omni-channels. That means that they are uh, on YouTube putting up videos. They are on Instagram. Uh, they are uh, perhaps putting together brands uh, and putting it on Shopify, but they're also putting out music and merchandise uh, on Shopify uh, and music uh, on Spotify, of course, and uh, touring and, and so they're really just doing a multitude of different things and um, connecting with their fan bases across many different platforms. And so I, I think it's a super, super interesting early stage, but there's a lot of friction still of being a creator and managing your fan base across all of these different platforms that I think will be considerably easier in the coming years um, and even this distinction between sort of what a casual fan is and what a super fan is, I think will 
will dramatically change in the coming years. I think musicians have historically made a lot of their money from those biggest fans, the ones willing to buy those front row ticket packages, those like collector's items, signed guitars. I would love to hear maybe, Daniel, just quickly, how you think about Spotify letting creators and and musicians drive that deeper monetization because, you know, a fraction of a cent per stream, you know, it adds up at a big amount, but every creator has some super loyal, hardcore fans that would love uh, to get behind them in an even bigger way. I know you guys have started to sell merch and concert tickets, but any thoughts on going deeper there around, you know, meet and greets, live events or anything like that? Yeah. uh, I mean, I think we're we're still in the early days of creating a more and deeper uh, fan engagement between creators and fans, and it's definitely a a sort of big theme that we're investing behind. Um, and as you said, I think when I look, kind of look at streaming, it's it, the the early innings was all about just access, just having access to the content and moving more and more of these minutes uh, that was being spent in traditional offline radio or broadcast radio onto online on demand. And as as more and more people now have started uh, doing that, and uh, we have hundreds of millions of people around the world that are streaming music every single day, uh, the engagement profile uh, means that we are creating a lot of fans and we're creating a lot of super fans too. So far, music has been sort of a one-size-fits-all where we've just monetized it through the streaming revenues in itself. And you had to, as a creator, figure out how to monetize that fan fan base off of other platforms. But I think the future is that we will become a lot better at monetizing uh, your fans and your super fans, even on Spotify. And I like to think and hope that, um, you know, platforms like uh, Shopify and others can then interact with Spotify uh, and likewise, you can have Spotify content be on Instagram or Facebook uh, in order to kind of drive that 360 experience. Yeah, I think that mirrors exactly what Signify, or the, the venture fund where I work, we did this big research project. And what we found was that, you know, over 50 million people are now starting to make money off of their creations. But one of the biggest trends there is people moving their fans off of the biggest social platforms and onto things like Shopify. Uh, Toby, would love to hear your opinion on sort of how that that trend is playing out now as uh, fans don't, or as creators don't just want likes or clicks, they want actual profits and, and to be able to support themselves with their, their passion. Yeah, Josh, I, I think the, um, I think it's overstated that people make like a choice or want to move people from one place to another. Like, um, um, well, well, look, I, I think I, I've been really inspired by, uh, um, this is like an older reference, like Kevin Kelly wrote an essay about thousand, like the, it's titled thousand true friends, uh, maybe 15 years ago or something like that. And, um, I find it's really, it, it's such a wonderful vision for the internet. Uh, you know, I tend to think of the internet as, um, um, the biggest city in the world, right? Like there's uh, now billions of people, um, on it. And I think what, what, what Daniel is doing so successfully um, and uh, other websites are doing, are doing well and you know, Instagram and, and all these other things. It's just, it, it allows people like, to find their, uh, these thousand fans, right? It, 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 and do so directly. And I think that's, that's a very different um, set of, that's a very different environment than what it was before. Like in the retail world, we, we, we've always had, um, uh, a lot of 
gatekeeping, right? There was, the, I mean, limited shelf space just meant that a lot of choices had to be made, which meant that the kinds of products that were created were, had to be very, very, very um, sanitized, uh, very broad appeal uh, for just logistical reasons, right? And so I think what's been so amazing is now that um, just a lot more people can participate. And what you see is just much, much more, more specific products are being created um, because it's so efficient to find the people who are really, really like the things that, that, that you have to offer. And what's interesting in this way is that um, almost all the people that I'm talking to, um, you, you're right, they are, they're doing this very multi-channel, um, but they, again, they're going direct through each of these channels. They find, they, they manage to figure out where the people who want the particular uh, thing that they're making. And, and this is such a positive sum um, situation. It creates, um, it creates these businesses, it creates um, employment, especially if people manage to find more than a thousand true fans. Um, and um, uh, it's, a, it's a huge factor for economy. It's super exciting and it's, it's, it's a lot more participatory than I think what's uh, come before. And I think that's really exciting. And, you know, one thing that I'd, that I'd add is, you know, I think that people want a lot of different ways that they can basically monetize and, and, and support themselves off of their art or whatever the work is that they're doing. So it's important that people have all of these tools. Um, you know, artists are going to want to directly monetize their, their art through things like Spotify. Um, they'll want tools to um, be able to give fans more specific access. They'll want to do... Um, basically sell merch and, 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 and different goods um, that either that they create or that they curate. Um, and that's where all the commerce stuff comes in. And, and you, I mean, you see that not on, not only on Shopify, but also doing the commerce work that we're doing and a lot of that we're, we're doing in partnership with, with Shopify. Um, but you're, you're also seeing stuff like, um, you know, tipping online. I mean, we have this product stars that uh, basically just allows you know, people to tip game streamers on, on Facebook who they like. And, you know, that's been, um, it's, it's, it's kind of contributed to Facebook having um, much more effective monetization for game streamers than I think any of the other leading platforms out there. Um, so a lot of game streamers are coming over to our tools for that. Um, and it's, it's just kind of interesting because I think overall, it's not like one model is going to work. It's not just like everyone is going to be able to make enough money off of an ads revenue share or something like that. But I think the 360 view of having all of these things really is going to support tens of millions of people in order to be able to do these kind of creative pursuits um, and, and, and just do amazing stuff. Um, yeah, uh, I, can, yeah, I can wrap there. Definitely. If, if you guys in the audience want to chat with other users uh, and listeners here, you can go to consign.club and, and join the, the, the second screen chat conversation. We'd love to see what you guys are thinking about this. Uh, Mark, I wanted to rewind. So you guys have been around for 15 years now. If you guys are more now, if you go back in time 10 years and think about how you were working with creators then, is there anything that you would change? Well, I think it's a, we have a somewhat different kind of heritage of how we got here, right? If you take a company like Daniel's, you know, you've been working with artists from the beginning, right? Or, you know, Toby, you've been working with uh, businesses and, and, and commerce from the beginning. You know, we start off as a social platform to help people connect. And, and, and basically, we've helped to build this, this you know, pretty vast community. And 
you know, now the numbers of people who are small businesses who are using the platform um, or creators who are using the platform. I mean, even if those were the only people we, we were serving, I mean, that's more than enough to build a, a, a kind of major company by itself, even without all the other social use cases and billions of people doing that. So now we just want to make sure that we're putting in um, and, and doing really good world-class work on this. Um, and to make sure that we're, we're kind of doing our part to support all these different use cases. And a lot of what we're trying to do is work with companies that are 100% dedicated to these things. So, I mean, we, we've had a, a long-term uh, partnership with with Spotify and a number of things around music. And I think that there will be an opportunity to do a lot more there. Um, it was about a year ago, I think, Toby, um, I mean, correct me if I'm from getting the dates wrong, that we announced, you know, our partnership and, and launched Facebook shops. And, um, and I, I think the progress on that, you know, it's still obviously early, but, you know, we now have more than a million active shops and more than 250 million people um, actively interacting with those shops every month. So, um, you know, I think the progress in, in terms of being able to um, ramp up some of this stuff and, and just kind of all the different tools that, that, that now exist, um, it's, it's really amazing. I, I think that the next five years are going to be really explosive in terms of the potential um, across a lot of these verticals. And I mean, by the way, the, the numbers that I shared, I, th- I don't actually think I'd, I've shared them before, uh, but but it's, um, you know, I'm really proud of the progress that we've made there. And, and you know, I, I don't know, Toby, what, what, how, how do you think that's going? It's, it's really great progress. And again, I think that what's important here is um, the way these business models uh, work and how they shape the world. I think, I think this, this sort of positive, positive summness of um, what Daniel's doing for, for, for artists is very quickly over, overlooked or often overlooked, right? Because there's a lot more people who will be able to make um, a living as artists because of what Spotify is doing. Um, there's a lot more um, people who can start their own businesses for especially very, very niche businesses um, uh, because of uh, the efficiency that uh, like now exists to be, be able to create these businesses and then and then find their audiences. Um, it's, it, it almost feels like we have this, there was a buildup of infrastructure that we've done on the internet for the last 20 years, which just somehow just about was like, like good enough, um, maybe a little bit janky all around the sides, but um, with COVID happening, happening and so many people having to look for another way of, uh, you know, sustaining themselves like that uh, dumpling business. Um, uh, you talked about, we just about had all the infrastructure there that allowed people, even non-technical people, um, to go and, you know, take their businesses into this amazing city that is the internet. Um, and um, that's really, really important. We'd love to hear you guys talk a little bit more about why this is important to the U.S. economy. Like, why does does having a creator set, you know, people who are making their money independently, why is that great for a more robust economy? I think I just let, let me speak for the SMB space just for a second. Like, it, it's I, I, a lot of people work for um, small businesses, right? Right. Like, it's um, depending on where you get the numbers from, it's like 50 to sometimes 80 percent uh, in international cases. Uh, definitely more, more than half of people work for small businesses, but that's not a stable group, right? Like it's um, small businesses go out of business a lot um, for lots of reasons. Right? Obviously, restaurants are part of it, uh, which have famously high turnover rate. Um, 
but in general, they go out of business. A lot of the reason why it, it still works and why it provides so much of employment is because there's a lot of new ones that are being created as well. It's a, um, generally a leaky bucket that's being refilled, um, hopefully at the same rate or, be- or faster. Um, it actually hasn't been true in, in the last while, like for the last couple of years. It's, it's now the last, I think, 16, eight, like 18 months. For the first time, it's picked up again. That new business formation has picked up as a number. Um, and um, again, again, this is, the, this is about, a lot about friction. Um, it was just very, very hard. Like, unless you had a technical background, you were probably not going to um, be a retailer a decade ago, 10 years ago. Right? Like, it, it, just, it just didn't work. Like, I could only do it because I'm a programmer. Um, and uh, that's an unnecessary restriction. And, and, and um, working really hard to build companies that make it more participatory um, and, and, and create better equality of opportunities for, 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 for people who want to start businesses or want direct connection with um, their fans and all these things. Um, it took a while. It took a while to build. Yeah, I also think yeah. one of the things that I'm most excited about here is just the idea of better representation for a wider set of creators. You know, traditionally, when you had to go through these big mainstream media platforms uh, to reach fans, you, you kind of had to boil everything down to this lowest common denominator and make these this one-size-fits-all content. And it seems like now, because you don't have to be make something that's fit for the radio you know, on Spotify, you could just make something that's fit for a thousand people who love your very unique, quirky style, uh, or a game streamer that streams an old retro game that most people don't play anymore or a Shopify seller that sells something that most people don't need, but a few people just absolutely love. I feel like that that's awesome because it means that every niche gets its star. Like every subculture gets somebody that represents it. And then you end up with more people who can look up to that stage and say, oh, I see somebody who looks like me, who talks to the things I care about. Maybe I could become that kind of person too. Yeah, I, I, I think that's super important. And um, also I do want to highlight that this is very much a global phenomenon too. So, um, you know, it, it's certainly prevalent and it's very large in the U.S. economy. But for me, the exciting part is the fact if you just talk about music, how um, you have, uh, if you just take Latham as a great example right now, Jay Balvin is now one of the largest artists in the world. Uh, it, it would have been unthinkable to to think about a Colombian artist breaking out on the world stage. Uh, it only happened once prior that I'm aware of, and that's Shakira. And now you've had a ton of them. And you have a music genre called reggaeton that's now a global, uh, uh, global thing that, that people all over the world care about. And for me, uh, that is sort of the ultimate promise of the internet. And... I think there's been a lot of great things that have been said before about sort of this isn't about just advertising or just about subscription, but it's actually the future will be about finding your audience and finding uh, multiple ways of interacting with that uh, audience across all of these different platforms, finding multiple ways of monetizing them from when they are a casual user to all the way up to a super fan. And as I think about the future and I think about automation and um, all of the things that will probably displace a lot of the jobs that we have as well, one of the major trends have been that people are turning towards more creative and uh, more, more creative endeavors. And I like to think that's very positive for society. And I like to think that that's ultimately very positive too for the future of the economy um, that we are able to, to go to sort of, 
um, expression, belonging, uh, and connect with people on a deeper cultural level. Yeah, and Josh, going back to your point before about why this is important for the overall economy, I, I, I think that you know, if you look country by country, you can measure the strength and stability of different countries' economies by the vibrancy and kind of number of small businesses that they have. You know, for all the attention that gets paid to the stock market and, and kind of the biggest companies, I, I think that this is where the majority of employment is and, and the majority of the work that's that's going on in the economy. So I, I think it's, it, whether whether it's creators or small businesses, I think, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is really important for kind of overall health and prosperity around the world. And one of the most important trends, I think, on the Internet is that you basically are giving all these individuals the power to do things that historically only larger enterprises would have had. Right. So I mean, Toby was talking about this before in terms of, all right, he couldn't have gotten started you know, with his initial shop unless he was an engineer. But, you know, now now you don't even need to be able to code to create an awesome online presence doing this. And, you know, we see this in, in things like marketing. Um, you know, where it used to be that if you wanted to reach your, your audience in the way that Daniel's saying, you know, you would have had to have been a big company doing pretty sophisticated analytics and marketing. And, you know, if you were the, um, you know, the woman doing the, the dumpling uh, delivery service that I was talking about before, um, you know, there were just, that, that just wouldn't have been accessible. There's no way that she has an analytics team, right. That can, that can figure out who are the people who are likely to want to subscribe to her dumpling service. That's uh, just wasn't going to happen. But now you basically have these platforms that level the playing field a bit and make it so that you can grow a more vibrant um, sector of, of creators and small businesses. And I, I think that that's one of the most important things that's happening on the Internet right now. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that you know, what we're seeing uh, in SignalFire's Big Vendor, uh, Creator Economy report, we just found that creators are having to become founders. They have to cobble together both tools and teams to be able to support themselves because you can't just be a guitarist anymore. You have to be a data scientist, a growth hacker, a merchandise designer, a community manager, and you probably can't actually do that all yourself, nor can you do that all manually. And so you really need the support of these tools. I'm also really excited about the, the finance element of this. I think we're going to see more around helping creators get off like to a good start even before they're maybe self-sustainable uh, with their own creation. You know, we're, we funded a company called Carrot, which is a credit card for influencers so they can fund their video production or their content creation before they get that ad revenue share, or that sponsorship money. And I think that supporting creators right from the start with, with financing is really important. And Mark, I know that Facebook is building a newsletter product and there's been discussion of like whether it's going to take a cut of that. Uh, newsletter products revenue. You know, I would love to hear if you could talk any more about that, and both in the sense of like if Facebook's going to take a cut, but maybe even if Facebook would provide a stipend to help creators get started on Facebook's newsletter product. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to uh, get ahead of the team that's that's working on this and is going to announce it soon, but but I think people will be happy with with what we're doing here. Um, you know, our our goal is to to basically build tools um, across these different categories where people are doing creative and intellectual work. Um, that, that are that give very favorable economics, and so that's not just on um, the side of, of revenue share and, and things like that, but it's also just having very good monetization tools. So that way, um, you know, over time, I think we should be able to build a lot of the tools that give people the the broadest audience. Um, but but even while that's ramping up, I, I I think that we should be able to give people um, the ability to have more monetization per person who's who's in their audience. Um, so that's that's certainly something that we're looking at. I mentioned it in game streaming before um, for for journalists and long form writers as well. Um, I, I just think that there's so much to do there. 
Mark, I know that you, you mentioned any more like uh, the commerce stats or things that you guys are, are working on now. I uh, just wanted to see if there's anything more you had to share there on that news. No, I mean, I, I mean, I'm pretty excited about the the potential of where this is going. I mean, we're, I think, a, a little less than a year in and having um, a million active shops and, and 250 million people uh, using them actively. Um, I think it's just good progress. I mean, I think it's still early compared to where it's going. But, you know, I think, and I'm, Toby, I'm curious to, to, to get your view on this, but, you know, compared to the early conversations we had about, you know, how people would use this across Facebook and Instagram and our products, I, I just think that this is well on track to being something that's going to um, be, be increasingly important to people. And, and in the last year, I, I've been proud of the impact that we've been able to have because, you know, obviously we've had this dynamic where a lot of physical storefronts have been closed. Um, so just making sure that people can continue to sell things on the internet has been very important for the health of, of these businesses. Yeah, no, progress has been really, really good. Um, and uh, it's an exciting product. Uh, it's, it's, again, it will increase the, there will be more people um, participating in commerce, but it's going to be more people um, supporting themselves. It's more people who start new businesses and more people will employ others because of it, which is um, the positive sumness of this is extremely important. I, uh, um, I think it'll do a lot of that um, for that. We, we, we'll certainly, obviously we're looking at the numbers as well and uh, talking to our customers who are, testing it and using it and they, they, they love it. So that's, that's really great. Okay, so this sort of brings up this other topic that I wanted to talk about, which is the idea of you know, how uh, the app store policies and the mobile economy and how different players apply taxes or privacy changes really impacts these kind of small businesses and you know, the, the advertising that they rely on or the microtransactions and tipping and subscriptions that could really fund some of these creators. You know, Apple's starting to change a lot of these policies you know, with the new iOS 14 changes to ad uh, identifier tracking as well as their, you know, their ongoing subscription fees as well as microtransaction fees. It seems like those would make it kind of hard for you guys to be able to continue to offer these kind of services to uh, to small businesses. Uh, would love to hear you, what your like, how do you feel about those changes coming in? Uh, well, there's there's a lot to say about this, um, but I mean, I would separate out, you know, the impact to kind of our businesses as 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 platforms compared to the the impact to individuals and small businesses who. You know, before some of these changes, I think, you know, we're, we're moving towards having the same kind of tools that, that previously only bigger companies would have had. And, and this imperils that. So, you know, when, when, when it comes to, you know, the iOS 14 changes, for example, and their, their impact on our business, I think the, the reality is, is that I'm confident that we're going to be able to manage through that situation well. And, um, and, and we'll be in a good position. I think it's possible that we may even be in a stronger position um, if Apple's changes encourage more businesses to conduct um, commerce on our platforms by making it harder um, for them to 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 basically use their data um, in order to uh, find the customers that that are that are more uh, that 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 would that would want to use their products outside of of our platforms. Um, you know, but the thing that I've been mostly focused on is that a lot of these changes are going to make it harder for small businesses and developers and. I think the situation is going to be challenging for them to navigate. And, you know, I, I just think it's one of the reasons why Facebook has been a bit outspoken on this is, you know, there are certain principles that we care about and empowering individuals is one of them. 
And when, when I feel like, uh, you know, people are, are, are kind of pushing too far on one of these things, I, I just want to make sure that we go and, and stand up for the people we serve. So whether it's, you know, a couple of years ago, I went and, and I, I wrote this speech and, and delivered it to Georgetown defending free expression, because I felt like that was something that was sort of under attack. Uh, now, I, I feel like the ability for small businesses and creators to have access to the same quality of tools um, as larger businesses have, uh, without having to do all this analytics and, and stuff themselves, I think that that's, um, there are going to just be a lot of, a lot of issues there that I'm, that I'm quite worried about for the health of, um, of, of a lot of the, the, the businesses that we try to work with. Um, but, but Toby, I mean, this is, this is your zone too. I mean, I'm, I'm curious kind of what you're seeing in, in hearing from, uh, from a lot of the small businesses that you work with. I mean, what, what are, what are they telling you about, about the impact that they expect to see to their, their, their businesses? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it comes up a lot. Um, and, um, obviously this is mostly, uh, about advertising, um, which isn't the only channel, obviously, like, like all, everything we talked about in multi-channel, view, um, like it's also true. Um, uh, and, uh, but for the small and medium businesses, ads are the prominent way how they, um, get sales and both will become, you know, less precise. Um, I guess the, the general sense is, I mean, there's just a change fatigue. <laughs> Everyone's like, okay, what, what does this mean now? Um, they realize that they, it'll be, it'll make some, uh, um, it'll cause some, um, uh, it'll make the ads just spend a little bit less effective. The thing I'm worried about the most though, is that, um, I've seen a lot of really, really great business. Some of our biggest customers start out as extremely niche products. Like it's the, you know, when you, when, when you do the Venn diagram thing, you have to like find the intersection between five different Venn diagrams. It's like people who like movies in the 80, uh, like 80s culture and Pokemon and jewelry and all, all these other things. And that's again how they, they get a start. They then branch out from, from, from there later. And I think that specifically is going to be uh, qu- quite a lot bit harder um, to do um, in the future, which is a second order effect of what I think Apple is trying to do. It, it may not even be something like it, it, it may be something they haven't fully uh, appreciated initially, um, but it's certainly something that's on the mind of the small and medium businesses. Daniel, I know that you guys deal with this too, with the subscription stuff where you know, Apple doesn't actually let you point people to the web version to subscribe without their fee. Uh, so you kind of either have to just give them that subscription with that added fee, which often means you have to increase your own price, which seems pretty har- you know, harsh for the end consumer, or you have to leave it up to them to, them to figure out that they're not supposed to subscribe in the app and go find it. Like, how have you felt about that? It seems like that just doesn't have transparency in you know, front of mind. Yeah, I mean, uh, just to take a step back, though, I I think uh, we've spent the better part of, uh, I would say, the last 20, 30 years to argue net neutrality. And uh, what's interesting is that most of that dialogue, uh, I feel we fought long and hard uh, over. And now we're in this new kind of platform war where these uh, platforms, uh, and in particular iOS, is now closing down a lot of the things uh, that we associate with the internet. And I, I think that's a very scary development. And we're talking about something where, uh, you know, again, this is the primary 
uh, now device that people access the internet. And the amount of restrictions that's being put on that in terms of what kind of, uh, you know, interactions uh, apps or, or companies can have with its customers, it's pretty massive. So in the case of Spotify, not only uh, is it that they want to incur a 30% tax uh, on our users, which by the way, it happens to be uh, more than, than what Spotify itself gets because we're paying out 70% of all of our revenues to the artists. Um, uh, but but then on top of that, um, they go so far to try to limit the way we are actually communicating with our consumers, even outside of the app itself, via emails and, and other things. So I, I, I just think it's a very, very slippery slope. And, um, you know, my, my view is that this is very damaging, not only to Spotify, but the entire kind of broader ecosystem of app developers and creators. And um, this is also why we filed the formal complaint, um, you know, uh, about two years ago now in the EU uh, for this particular matter. And that was not lighthearted from my side. This was something that, you know, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about. And, and I feel, um, you know, that we're at a very important inflection point uh, to decide sort of the future on the internet. Is it going to be open or is it going to be closed? And um, yeah, uh, this is this will be one of the major debates, I think, over the coming years. And the fee for, for creators that Daniel's mentioning, it's not just for um, for for the artists that, that you serve. I mean, we've certainly had this dynamic as well. And we built a, a subscription product to help um, news publishers have subscriptions and had to go back and forth for a very long time with Apple before they agreed to to not uh, basically put a 30% tax on that long after we basically said that we were going to take no revenue share in that. Um, you know, we see dynamics like, I mean, I mentioned the Stars product with game streamers, um, you know, and Apple takes a, a much bigger cut of that than, than anything that we take out of the money that these creators are getting. Um, and we, we even saw a bunch of examples during during the pandemic that, that I thought were, were especially tough where we built a bunch of tools around, you know, people being able to make online events and things like that. And, you know, we didn't take any revenue share of that just because we were trying to help these creators or, or small businesses help support themselves. And, you know, the 30% tax on that, um, you know, before Apple finally backed down, um, I, I just thought was, was particularly tough. So I, I do think that this is a, that this is a big issue. Yeah, it seems like those microtransactions are really you know, impeded by this because there's something that you want to be able to make quickly and not have this sort of extra overhead or even thought that like, oh, well, I'm not just giving to the creator, I'm giving to this, you know, one of the biggest corporations in the world. And to me, especially around the ad stuff, I feel that the ad supported you know, services are the lifeblood of the free internet. Like I love that people around the world can use Google and Facebook's products for free because they're subsidized by you know, ad views in top markets like the US. I think that that's really important to making sure the internet doesn't become a place that's all pay for play and you have to have money to be able to do something. Uh, and I would love to hear, Mark, like, what do you think about a better path forward around advertising privacy where you know, the people feel like they've given active consent, but that they're, we're not necessarily like scaring them into you know, rejecting these things that could really help small businesses and actually make their experiences better. I, mean, I personally like targeted ads better than you know, completely random ads. Yeah, well, look, I mean, we know that if you ask people 
would you want your data used to help make your advertising experience more personalized? The vast majority of people are going to say yes. Right? We know this because you know, that's what the GDPR in Europe requires, and we've implemented this around the world, and that was the result that we got. But of course, if you, if you build a, a prompt um, that's, that's asking if, um, if, if you want an app to track you around without having any sense of, of, of explaining what, you know, basically what value you're going to get from that, then, um, then, then obviously that's going to discourage most people from, um, from participating in that. But, but look, I, I think you're, you're basically right. I mean, I think if you want to give everyone a voice and have, give everyone access to content, a lot of people can't afford, um, very premium services, although, although people do pay for, for different things. And, uh, you know, I think the, the kind of time tested model for that is having uh, free services or free media that is ad supported. And I, I think people accept that. And a lot of people like that and people get for the most part that if they're going to see ads, they want them to be relevant ads. And, and so you kind of have it from both sides, right? So from the consumer perspective, you know, if people are going to see ads, they want them to be a good experience. From the small business and creator side, um, people just want to be able to reach the people that are actually going to, um, you know, be interested in in their in in what they're they're doing. I mean, there's the old the old uh, advertising quote that you know, when you advertise, you're wasting half of your money. You just don't know which half. But you know, for the first time, you know, the internet made it so that that could be a bit more precise and. I think without some of this optimization, you just make it, um, you know, it's, it's not financially viable for, for a lot of these folks who are, who are upstarts to, to kind of get into it. So that's what I worry about going forward. But, um, but, but I, I do think that we'll be able to, you know, offer a number of folks a path forward. Hopefully we can create enough value so that even if um, you, you have someone that, that's kind of taking a 30% tax on it, um, you, you're still able to en- enable millions of, of of creators and folks to um, to create a good livelihood. And, and I'm still optimistic about the future. I just think it would be a lot better for a lot of folks um, if there were a little bit less of, 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 of a tax there. So I want to bring up Eric Medjikowski, who was the co-founder and CEO of Pebble, the smartwatch company that you know had a pretty tough time dealing with some of these policies around hardware, because I know Apple doesn't necessarily give third-party developers the same access to features or integrations with iOS that you know, native hardware, like it's AirPods do. Uh, Eric, maybe you could talk about like how you felt about dealing with that or, and what you think needs to happen going forward. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me up. Um, we dealt with a whole bunch of stuff over the years uh, with respect to getting Pebble, our smartwatch, to work on um, on iPhones. Um, I mean, it ranged from issues like uh, we we had an app store for Pebble. We wanted to be able to in- invite people to create apps, um, watch faces, and other um, kind of applets on the watch. And we got a lot of pushback from Apple because. We, they didn't want us to be running an app store within our iOS app. Um, eventually, you know, it just took kind of like um, what Mark was saying, takes like three to six months to work with Apple and to get through these very kind of like uh, a lot of um, just a lot of back and forth. So that slowed us, slowed us down a lot. I think the, um, the biggest difference, though, between, say, Android and iOS is just how much more open the platform is for people to create new experiences and new interactions. So for example, on Android, um, 
when we were working on Pebble, we wanted to be able to let people uh, say like reply to messages or reply to SMSs or reply to WhatsApp messages. And there's a great API on Android where you can just, um, you know, send responses to incoming notifications. But on iOS, we were just blocked at every turn. We had to go through some crazy hoops to uh, to get replies to say iMessage working, and we weren't fully able to kind of create a good experience. And then you know Apple comes along and and builds the Apple Watch, which of course has you know native integrations into all of the APIs. And uh, it was tough for us because we really wanted to create a great experience for our users, but we just you know were limited by these um, these kind of OS limitations. Yeah, so across the board, like, where do you guys think this needs to go? Like, what what changes would you like to see made here so that it, it is a better and more even playing field for creators and developers? Yeah, I mean, can I just echo Eric's point on the private APIs? I mean, I think that there's been, you know, a lot of people have focused on, you know, the the iOS 14 ads changes and, and whether that's going to be an impact for our business, for, for example. And you know, well, it might make some some kind of headwind. I mean, the reality is we make changes in our products all the time that, you know, try to prioritize, um, you know, health and well-being across the services and 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 kind of reduce our revenue. So over the long term, I'm I'm not actually the, the iOS 14 business changes are actually not the biggest concern I have with Apple. It's it, the the thing that I worry about the most are are the private APIs, like like Eric is saying. Um, you know, and you see this both on the software side and the hardware side, right? So for a product like Messenger on Android, people can make that their default SMS client in addition to sending messages. And on, on iPhone, you just, you just can't have a different SMS client. That's you know, not a thing that Apple allows. Um, they give their own services you know, access to you know, better and different APIs for doing video chat and um, you know, and, and, you know, for building something like a messaging service, um, you know, where every other app needs to ask for notifications, they, there's start with notifications turned on. So there, there are all these ways, and, and that's just one example of one thing that we're doing. Um, but where, where I think the, the access to private APIs and the differential between Android and iOS is really massive. But then you, you also get on the hardware side where I, I just, I haven't seen as much written about this, but you know, our experience is certainly uh, aligned with what Eric said too, um, in terms of, you know, just integrating devices with iOS is, um, is really difficult. And I think that they do that on purpose. And, you know, they, they, um, you know, they have things like, like AirPods, where, you know, basically the main feature that allows them to sell it for, you know, some, some kind of huge amount of profit um, is that it pairs well with the phone, because they, have given themselves an API that uh, any other you know headphone provider uh, basically it's, it's much harder for the headphones to pair and you know the the AirPods pair in half a second and you know anything else takes eight seconds and it's just not as good of an experience you know if you're trying to build a watch you know which we're exploring um, as as you know just we talked about the the kind of the, the wrist thing I don't, I don't call it a watch but it's uh, the the basic neural interfaces work that we that are that are um, Facebook Reality Labs team uh, demoed some of our research about today, a neural interface on the wrist. If you want that to integrate with, with a phone in any way, it's just so much easier on Android than iOS. So my guess is that this is an area where there probably should be a lot more focus. And I, I do think the private APIs are, are just something that makes it really difficult to have a healthy ecosystem. 
I've got a quick suggestion for them if there's any Apple folks on the call. Um, enable uh, enable sideloading. If if we were able to kind of create apps and and really move quickly to kind of build new interfaces and new new experiences, if there was a means of just inviting users to sideload the app rather than going through the main app store. I think that would make I, I think that would eliminate a lot of these issues kind of in the short term. Yeah, I think that the, I would love to see you know, Apple come forward with a you know just a more collaborative take. It seems like you guys are kind of lobbying uh, you know policies at each other, and instead of just sort of coming to the table and being able to find something that works for everybody, it seems like there is an opportunity to to build something that gives that that level playing field for anyone. Uh, Mark, any other like final thoughts on like what you'd like to see them uh, do there before we move into our last topic of talking a little bit about audio apps? Uh, I mean, I thought that was a lot. I'm, I'm curious what what uh, what Daniel and Toby think. Yeah, I, I mean, from from my side, I, I think the key word here is just enabling choice um, and having more of a level playing field. As someone who's competing with Apple, not just um, them offering a platform that's uh, prohibitive uh, and making it difficult. On top of that, they also have um, a music service in Apple Music where it's the default option. And uh, like Eric spoke about, and Mark as well, um, it's a default music player. Uh, they are going to change it in upcoming versions, but that's uh, about 10 years after the fact. So obviously a lot of people have gotten used to having that as the default uh, music app on the iOS ecosystem. Uh, I personally want to see an internet where every single piece of the stack is open for competition. Um, so whether it be payments, whether it's being marketing solution, whether it's creative solutions, whether it's uh, commerce solutions, uh, really throughout the stack, you should earn your place. Uh, that's the most important uh, piece for me uh, to try to create an environment. Uh, and that should be everything we spoke about from uh, enabling, uh, you know, uh, everyone on your platform to have access to the same APIs as you do. Certainly, if you're also creating apps um, as well that are competing with those providers, it's also allowing um, sort of free opportunity for those apps to communicate directly with their uh, customers and not have that be intermediated by yourself. And then thirdly, uh, in terms of the ability to monetize, we talked about advertising, but it's true in subscription too. The the thirty uh, percent tax. I mean, we used to have this in Europe. Actually, we used we used to have the telcos. We charge something equivalent to thirty to sometimes even fifty percent uh, of whatever you wanted uh, to offer as as a way of monetization. And uh, it it obviously didn't lead to very very much of mobile payments, and it turned out that it was only once we got to smartphones and were able to use credit cards as their underpinning uh, to that, I think we made huge progress of enabling more and more commerce uh, on the internet. Uh, but imagine if it, we, you could have paid with very low fees on text messages where we could have been today. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And um, I, I, I really think, I mean, open is good. Open leads to a lot more experimentation. Uh, and it's, it, again, this is funny. I, every time I seem to be in a um, clubhouse room with you, Josh, I, 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 I give a shout out to the web browser, but it is just such an incredible thing that it exists. Like, I, I think it's worth saying that, um, no, Web browser. If a web browser would have to be invented today, like it wouldn't make it through any app store, right? Like, and I think that's um, like that's not good. Uh, but we have it, so luckily it's there. I think um, 
more competition on the infrastructure leads to uh, better things for, for, for everyone who uses the internet and everything that allows direct relationships um, uh, leads to this kind of experimentation, leads to more businesses, leads to more, uh, you know, direct relationships, leads to more entrepreneurship. And, and anything that helps people get their first sale is uh, something that's very, very good, especially if it's on the terms of the entrepreneur. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so we're, we're doing this talk on Clubhouse right now, and it seems like, you know, between the pandemic breaking, our sense of acquaintanceship, the inability to sort of gather together, and just the fact that people might be a little bit exhausted with video over, some, over time. You know, being on camera takes a lot of emotional effort. I think we all get that, like, Zoom fatigue after a long day of meetings. Uh, and so we'd love to hear you guys talk a little bit about why audio is sort of popping off right now in terms of social audio. You know, Daniel, obviously, you guys have been propelling more traditional uh, you know, music for a long time, as well as moving more and more into podcasts. But, you know, Mark, why do you think this audio stuff is blowing up right now? And I know that you guys, well, reportedly, you guys are building something more specific to the space. We'd love to hear you talk anything about that. Sure. Well, you know, I, I feel a little silly talking about why audio is important when I'm in a room with Daniel. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, overall, I think that, you know, I, I kind of have this theory of social apps that, at the intersection of every medium and audience size, there is an interesting experience to build. So you, know, you can think about kind of videos that are, that, that are public, right? That's, that's, there's something interesting there. If you think about one-on-one, -on -one, there's something interesting there. If you think about um, small groups, uh, there's something interesting to do there. Um, the same is true for text, right? Short-form text, long-form text, um, photos, gaming, all, all, all of these different types of mediums. And I think that's certainly true for audio too. And it has a bunch of the advantages that, that you said, right? You don't have to, um, you know, prepare, you, know, you don't have to look good before you, you kind of get on to, to go do a podcast or a clubhouse or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, you know, you can, you can walk around a lot more easily. Um, now I, I think that there's, there, there are a lot of, you can, you can consume it without having to look at, at, at the screen and kind of do that in the background while doing something else, you multitask better. So there are a whole lot of advantages for it, but I think ultimately there, you know, I, I think what, what Clubhouse is, is doing and has pioneered is, is really impressive and is going to end up being one of the modalities around audio, um, you know, live audio broadcast. Um, you're going to have also obviously long form um, kind of consumption of pre-recorded, right? Whether that's music or podcasts, that's an important thing. Um, and I'd love to do more in, in kind of integrating that that content and partner with, with Spotify on, on that to, to create a, a good experience across the apps there. But I mean, I think Spotify builds great tools for that today. But then I think that there's a shorter form component to this too, where, you know, in most of these mediums, you know, what you're seeing is there's sort of longer form video, shorter form video, longer form text, shorter form text, um, and I think that that's going to be true in audio too. So, you know, the, the, the question is kind of what, what are the equivalents of, of that in, in audio? So overall, I think that this is, is going to be a, a pretty big space. Um, the work that we're doing in this is, is trying to basically build out um, a bunch of the tools across um, the spectrum of how people would want to use audio. Um, and and there will be um, I, I'm really excited about this. This is something that our teams have been working on, um, you know, for, for a while, you know, since uh, I, I think possibly even before the pandemic, but at least 
uh, from from very early on in it, experimenting with different stuff. And I'm um, I'm I'm quite excited to start rolling it out soon. Yeah, I mean, you guys actually were building like a live audio feature back in 2016, which seems like you know eons ago now in the internet age. But I think when it was locked inside the newsfeed, it felt like it was so much harder to quickly sample a piece of audio compared to like a video or a photo where you can really quickly get a sense of whether you're interested in it. Same goes for text. And audio is just so much more difficult uh, with that. That's why we haven't really seen like an Instagram of audio discovery. And so I think it, it sounds like what you really need to be building is you know, new destinations or more sort of peer-to-peer mediums rather than those traditional just sort of like asynchronous broadcast media. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's going to be all of these things, right? I mean, I think people are going to want to broadcast audio. They're going to want to save long-form audio and audio and be able to play it in the background. Um, and I think that there are going to be shorter-form shorter, shorter form things and kind of more discovery-oriented and um, kind of quick exploration. So I know there's a lot of different use cases here. I mean, the, the, the trick to building products is not sort of having um, just, a, just having a high-level theory on where things are going, but as you say, it's the execution, right? And getting the details right and, um, and making it so that the kind of everything adds up and, and makes sense. So I, um, you know, that's why you can try things a few times before you get them to work and you just keep learning and, until you can, you can make it work. But, but I'm, I'm quite optimistic about the space. And I, um, I think that there's going to be a lot to do here beyond the products that exist today. Yeah, I think a lot of people get the sense that this kind of social audio is all about these kind of talks, like these kind of big public speaker, speakers talking to a large audience. When I think one of the parts I'm most excited about is like the smaller social private rooms where suddenly you can seem to get on the phone with somebody that you might never call on the phone. Because I think there's so many people between like our 10th best friend and our 100th acquaintance that we don't get to talk to on the phone or have these those sort of spontaneous interactions with. But we'd love to because we want to stay in touch with them. And that's especially hard right now. Uh, but Daniel, you know, what are you thinking about this space? You, know, you guys are doing podcasts, but are you thinking of anything else around interactive audio or things that are more live? Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and by the way, it, it brought up some fun memories. I, I remember uh, uh, Mark and I, we first collaborated on social music, which is a form of social audio back in 2011. Uh, we, we launched a, uh, we kind of launched Spotify in the US that way, actually, where it, it was pretty cool. Like uh, if I was listening to music and uh, Mark was on Facebook, you could kind of tap into and listen to exactly what I was listening to at that time. Um, it, it obviously wasn't as smooth of an experience as, as you can imagine it today, um, but um, it, it was kind of the first inning of that. So it's definitely something we've been um, thinking about for quite some time, I think both Mark and I. Um, but I mean, the way I look at it um, is, you know, the internet is an audio, visual and interactive medium. And so as such, uh, even as it comes to audio, uh, it was bound to become interactive. Uh, and I think Clubhouse and, um, you know, all of those type of formats is a great uh, way of creating an interactive um, format between people and in a discovery format. I think at Spotify, uh, we deliberately have kind of framed our set of, of uh, focus as towards creators who aspire to be or already are professional. So we are not trying to be a social network uh, of some sort, uh, but instead what we are interested in and what we're going to focus on is obviously creating more interactivity features between creators and fans. We think that there's a ton of work 
to do there. And not just casual users, but even the segmentations like we spoke about earlier between, um, you know, your true fans, um, your super fans, and, and allowing those um, new and, and novel ways to interact with you. Um, so those are definitely things that we're thinking about. And I think, you know, Clubhouse um, has just shown uh, to the world that audio can be interactive as well. And, and um, you know, obviously I'm not surprised, but I, I think the fantastic thing is this has been this has been uh, something uh, of a, a trend that's been going on now for quite some some time. You know, I, I I believe I don't have the data to back this up, but I believe that the AirPods may be uh, one of Apple's all-time most sold devices next to the iPhone. And so, if you think about that and just think about um, sort of ambient computing and the ability for people to consume more and more content now via their ears, because most of us are having these sort of white earbuds um, in uh, for many, many hours per day. That's just an enormous opportunity, both for social experiences, but also for for consuming more content like podcasting, like music. Um, and of course, some of that will also be interactive. Yeah, it feels a bit like when phone screens got bigger and the you know, network speeds got faster, suddenly video became a viable option and people started consuming a ton more of it. And now it seems like we're experiencing that with audio. Maybe we, were, we don't need the screen size and the bandwidth actually isn't that tough, but it's really that sense of not having to fiddle with a tangled set of cords in your pocket just to be able to listen to something for 30 seconds while you're in line. Instead, I, I'm excited to see content get cut down shorter and shorter so I could ask for you know a, a set of comedy clips about a current event topic or a quick news brief about something or just like some natural poetry when I'm taking a nice walk in the woods. I think that there's such an opportunity uh, for that for that short form part, especially if you do build in that AI discovery where, you know, you don't have to pick every time, but instead it can sort of cue that stuff up for you. And Daniel, I think the I, I'm also really excited around curatorship. Because I think when you get enough content, naturally you need that next layer of curators. And you know, pop playlisters are incredible on Spotify, but it seems like there's sort of limited ability to interact with those playlisters or for those playlisters to really understand who's listening to them and be able to build that second set of creators that are indirectly creating by helping other people find content to experience. Uh, like, are you trying to build more for those curators as well as the creators? Yeah, uh, I mean, we're we're definitely trying to add more and more tools to allow you to be a better um, curator, uh, if not um, on a social basis, at least for yourself. Um, but uh, we did also during the pandemic uh, launch um, sort of an ability for you to share what you're currently listening on with your friends, and the way we did that was actually. By just sharing a link, uh, you can do that on any social met, uh, network or uh, on Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, or any of that um, uh, to your friends, and they can tune in and listen to exactly what you're listening to. So it's kind of a live playlist uh, where where you can interact around that, and your friends can suggest uh, if they want to listen to other songs as well. So uh, there, there's definitely inroads uh, in terms of that, um, but the primary focus for us on that roadmap is just enabling you to be a much better curator even for yourself um, just by, for instance, suggesting content that's relevant to the things you've already put in the playlist, um, enabling you to, um, you know, again, a lot of people, what we find at Spotify has um, had 
a lot of the same songs in the playlist and just being able to augment that playlist by adding more great content that's kind of similar is something that our our users really want us to be able to do. So there'll, there'll be a lot more of that stuff coming where uh, it's both actual humans, but but then augment that with machine learning as well to just make the experience much better. Wait, are we going to see like a Spotify first party kind of turntable FM experience where I can like actively DJ for a bunch of my friends? Yeah, it, it doesn't look in anything like turntable. By the way, I love the um, icons and and the the visual expression of turntable. But this is more like the functionality in the sense that you can actually already today um, create kind of a live room where you're able to tune into um, what your friends are listening to at the moment. That's amazing. So I want to go through some of the incredible tops, tips that you guys gave us today and some of the, the major insights. So I love that, Mark, you, you started off with, with talking about your response that your favorite meme was that smoking meats one and, and your sweet baby Ray's super cut of your, your just deep affection for that barbecue sauce. Uh, I'm just great to see that like you're, you're playing along with it and you're laughing along with it because I think those memes do bring a lot of people joy. Uh, when we got into talking about the creator economy, talk about that creators really need tools, that there are new business models around journalism and entertainment and that you know people using their personality as their brand and turning their passion into their profession to make a real living unlocks just a whole new type of occupation and something that might give people a lot deeper fulfillment. Uh, but in order to do that, you have to cobble together all these different tools. Creators have to become uh, you know, thought, uh, founders as well and bring together a, a wide variety of teammates as well as tools. And we're seeing this explosion of startups to help them release some of that friction. Uh, because a lot of times, you know, content has been one size fits all. And that's mean that you have to sort of boil it down to this lowest common denominator and it's really one size fits none. And that now you know, people are starting to move off of these platforms or deepen their monetization through new features on the top social platforms so they can do, develop that deep relationship with their super fans and cater to the niches that truly love them. Um, you, Toby said to you that, that that trend of people moving off platform might be a little bit overblown and the, but that you know, the internet is the biggest city in the world and it's not, you can find those first thousand fans for nearly any niche. Uh, and you know, Mark, you talked about wanting to offer people a a lot of different ways to monetize. Uh, you know that you could be it could be selling the actual co content or creations, but there's also things like merchandise or being doing curation or live streams with tips. And that you know the ad revenue share is not going to work for everyone, and we need to move to this more 360 view. Uh, and that you guys are working with other companies to help you with that instead of having to try to do it all yourself. Uh, and that you know it's a it's a leaky bucket to think that we have to constantly fill up employment. And instead, if people are moving more to these sort of passion uh, for professions even if they don't end up having a traditional job or being able to make a living as a creator, I think long-term that'll be okay because we're going to have more subsidies as automation helps change that economy. Um, and that you know, the internet is this sort of ultimate promise uh, of the future of finding your audience, as Daniel said, and helping you know, to monetize everyone from casual users to super fans to be able to make that all come true. Uh, and, and Mark, you guys are doing incredible progress here. You now have 1 million active shops and 250 million people using them, which really shows that people care about those small businesses on Facebook. And that's where we brought in that talk about Apple. And, you know, I asked you guys about how you felt about these changes that Apple's making and that, you know, it, it could be really detrimental to some of these small businesses, as you said, if they're not able to target their fans in the same way, it's detrimental to creators if they can't necessarily monetize uh, or take those sort of uh, 
micropayments or do subscriptions. And some of the things you guys hoped for was the idea of opening up the APIs so that all services, regardless of who makes them, can use all of Apple's services. Or you know, Eric Majikowski, the Pebble founder, talked about sideloading and how you know, if Apple doesn't want to be the distributor of these experiences, it doesn't have to. Let people sideload them themselves. And that you know, let people choose their own default apps rather than demanding that they have one specific one. I would love to see a phone dialer replaced with, uh, with a, you know, a third-party app that can remind me to call people that I love that I haven't talked to in a while. And we can't do that if we can only use the, the, the native dialer. Uh, you guys talked about reducing taxes so that you know, creators of all types can earn a living because you, you mentioned that when, when Facebook tried to let uh, your creators uh, monetize online events during the pandemic, uh, you guys didn't take a cut, but Apple was still taking that 30% cut or that was Spotify. Apple's 30% cut is actually more than Spotify even makes on the entire service. Uh, and I think that that, that that poses a real problem, I think, for the long-term opportunity for experimentation on the internet if people are so locked and constrained by what they can do on the predominant platforms. Uh, and then we talked a little bit about audio apps and you know, Mark's theory that you know, at, at the intersection of every medium and audience size, there's something interesting to build, whether it's one-on-one or small groups or broadcast. And we've seen that from you know, blogging and Twitter, long form and short form and text or gaming going from micro games and sort of instant games like on Facebook to bigger console games or you know the experience from photos that are designed for a quick feed to something that's more of a destination and you think that there's going to be similar things like that for audio that will have longer form stuff like Spotify or podcasts or even Clubhouse but there, there's room for those smaller uh, shorter audio uh, formats uh, and you know as Daniel was talking about because everybody is starting to have Bluetooth earbuds in their ears they're not having to untangle these wires to be able to listen to something we have a lot more opportunity for consumption. Uh, and I think that when you put all that together, there's a real opportunity for people to not just follow in the footsteps of the old economy, but find their own path to what fulfills them and makes them excited about living and getting up every morning. And so with that, I wanted to ask uh, each of you to guys just give a quick final, maybe word of inspiration or advice to entrepreneurs and creators out there. Uh, Daniel, maybe you could start us off. Uh, yeah, that was a, quite a summary, Josh. So thank you uh, for doing that. No, I mean, look, uh, all, all I would like to say is it feels um, like pretty much everything on the internet might have already happened, but just know that this is the beginning. Uh, so keep being curious, keep trying out new services. Um, you know, for many of us, uh, a few months ago, Clubhouse uh, didn't exist. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's funny, uh, I just saw, Josh, that you had over 3 million followers here as one creator. Um, and so uh, play around with the services, um, try out new things on them, uh, try to interact, try to uh, work uh, on all services. Um, again, build your fan base. Um, don't be afraid of collaborating as well with others. I think we are certainly, you started off by saying we're in, kind of remix culture. So uh, yeah, stay, stay curious and, and, uh, and know that we're in the beginning of this. Definitely not the end. Much more to come. Love it. Uh, Toby, what do you think? Same sentiment. Like, I, I, again, I think we're in the, oh, uh, the very beginning of this new city that everyone just immigrated to. <laughs> and um, uh, like, we don't know what things look like. I, I think, honestly, the only strategy has to be adaptability. Um, uh, change is going to be constant. Um, and the surfaces changes, the, the terms change, the game changes. Um, the most adaptable will do well. And um, I think that's... Um, I think that's the right strategy for everyone to take. There's going to be incredible amount of opportunity just because of the 
positive sumness of, of, of the platforms and all the work and people building business models that are like around helping others and then taking uh, uh, revenues from both and reinvesting them into the platforms to make it even better and widen things further. That's, that's what's going on. I think that's one of the best stories in the world. And I think that's, that's important and uh, it's good. I love your quote about that you should look at failure as the successful discovery of things that did not work and that you shouldn't be afraid of experimentation because you're always going to learn even if things don't go right. Uh, And Mark, why don't you give us another final thought? Um, And before that, I just want to let everyone know, if you weren't able to catch all of this talk, I know there was some trouble getting in the room, you'll be able to get the recording at constein.club. I'll be putting out that recording as soon as we can possibly do it uh, because I want to make sure everybody gets access to this and it shouldn't be exclusive to iOS users, that's for sure. Uh, But Mark, why don't you give us some final thoughts on, on the creator economy or what what advice or inspiration you might have for creators. Sure. And and thanks for, for doing this, Josh. This has been fun. And I have to say, I really like Toby's analogy of, um, of, of the internet is the city. And you know, I just, I, it just feels like, you know, for the last 10 or 15 years, um, you know, a lot of the community and social aspects of the, the city have filled out. But, but I do think the kind of creative and economic opportunity for individuals um, is really just about to take off. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's already big by some numbers, but, you know, I just think if, if you're, you know, thinking about whether this is something that you want to do um, with, with your career, um, you know, I just think that the tools and the monetization and the ability to reach people and, and get more precise at finding the people who are going to be interested in what you're doing are just getting so much better year over year right now um, that, you know, what we're seeing across all of these different modes, you know, whether it's, you know, journalism and, you know, people moving over to, um, to, to tools like Substack or, um, you know, hopefully we can enable some of that too with the, the project that we announced this week, um, you know, to, to the other mediums that we're talking about here, whether it's audio or video or um, just other creative pursuits, gaming, um, I, I just think that we're right at the beginning of this and there's just so much opportunity for individuals to do things that unlock their own creativity, um, serve important niches in the world and make a living doing some fun and exciting stuff. Um, and I think it's really just going to get a lot more exciting from here. That's amazing. Uh, thank you guys so much for, for joining us today. Again, if you guys didn't catch all the talk or would love to check it out later, uh, please go to constantine.club and you'll be able to get the recording soon. Next week, we have a super exciting show. We're going to have the CEO of WordPress, Matt Mullenweg, as well as the COO of Salesforce, Brett Taylor, one of your former employees, Mark, uh, talking about going back to the office and what it takes to actually uh, return and whether we're going to see remote work continue. Uh, I know you loved working with Brett back in the day. He's yeah, that'll be great. Brett, Brett, is, Brett is amazing. Um, I'm Looking forward to tuning in for that one. Awesome. Yeah, and if you guys are interested, you know, we, we also presented this incredible NFT uh, portrait of the guys on stage uh, from Finch. Uh, would love to have you guys check that out. Uh, you can find it on Foundation. It's, it's up for sale, and we're giving 20% to charity through Give Directly. Uh, but again, I think the creator economy is something that if everyone sort of experiments, finds the medium that fits their soul, the thing that makes them sing and makes it feel like it's not really work, that there's a real opportunity for us all to find you know, a way to find self-expression, if not also monetization and maybe even a profession. So I want to thank you guys all for, for joining us. And I'm going to talk with Finch for a few minute, more minutes about the, the art work that he made, but I know you guys are busy people. So if you got to go, I totally understand. All right. Thanks, Josh. This was awesome. Thanks for doing it.
Absolutely. Mark, Toby, Daniel, incredible to, to have you guys here. I'm Josh Constein. I was formerly the editor of at large for TechCrunch, now with SignalFire. And it's just been a total pleasure to be here with you guys. If you want to join us for the future shows, we would love to have you. Uh, you can go to Constein.club, uh, my website, and you can sign up to get alerts about our future shows. Like I said, next week, we have the CEO of WordPress, Matt Mullenweg, and the CEO of Salesforce, uh, Brett Taylor, talking about, are we going to be going back to the office? And we'll also have some great surprise guests joining us as well for that talk. I want to make sure that we get enough diversity and sort of broad perspectives on here. I know it was a lot of guys on stage today, but that's something that I really do care about addressing and we'll make sure to get, uh, get more of that wider perspective in the future talks. Thanks to everyone who stuck around for this whole hour. Thanks to everyone who, you know, tapped repeatedly trying to get into the room when it was full. It means a lot to me that you guys would, would want to be here. And to me, the only thing that really matters is respecting your guys' time because that's the most precious commodity because it's what you can use for, you know, those emotional relationships with the people you love or creating something for the world at large. And so the fact that you'd spend it here with me on Press Club means a lot to me. So thank you to Finch for creating this hilarious and beautiful and adorable piece of art. If you're interested in that, go to Foundation uh, or one of our profiles to check it out and bid on it. Uh, we're giving some of that to charity. Uh, but otherwise, we will catch you next week on Press Club. It has been my absolute pleasure to get to be here with you guys today. Uh, I'll be on Constein.club's chat room as well, continuing to talk with fans after the, the talk. So if you guys are interested and have questions for me, feel free to hit me up there. But otherwise, it's been an absolute pleasure. You know, I think of Clubhouse as the serendipity audio wishing well. Like you throw in a little bit of value, a little bit of planning, and your favorite guests, your, your dream guests bubble to the surface. And you know, when I talked to Mark about wanting to do something like this, it was amazing other people who wanted to get involved with it too. And that's how we got such a great lineup. So thank you all for joining us today. I'm Josh Constein from Signal Fire. We will catch you next week on Press Club, usually 6 p.m. Pacific. And tomorrow at 1.30 p.m., we'll have another little talk about NFTs and our auction for this beautiful physical painting and NFT work. Once again, it is my absolute pleasure to have your time. I respect you guys so much for, for getting to spend it with us and would love to have you again here on Press Club. Farewell, have a wonderful day.